Well, good morning. I really can't begin to tell you how fulfilling it is to be back home after a month away. I love this brotherhood of believers. This morning, I've been given the honor of sharing with two of my sons. These guys have grown, extended, and risen to be far more impressive than I've ever been at any point in my life. Our hope this morning is to literally lay it all on the table. I mean, we want to put it out there for everyone to see. We're going to unashamedly put our family jewels on full display for all of you to see. Now, we're not sure what imagery the term family jewels brings to your mind. But the Stevens man, I mean, we love our family jewels. Yeah, that's true. Especially Cody, Brandon, Gabe, and myself. Well, we became aware of them early in life and have been fascinated with our family jewels ever since. It's true. Now, in truth... We probably inherited this obsession from our father. <laughs> That's also true. Who loves our family jewels more than anyone that we know. Now, regardless of what the term family jewels means to you, it happens to be the title of this morning's message. So formally, today is July 2nd, and our sermon is entitled Family Jewels. While you're thinking about our family jewels... Perhaps we should turn to a scripture. That's a good idea. That's probably wise. The truth is, we want you to love our family jewels as much as we do. And we have great affection for them. But perhaps after we have discussed what we will today, they will become all of our family jewels. Amen. Let's go to Exodus 19, starting in verse 3, and we'll go through 6. Somebody let us know you're there when you're there. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the house of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourself have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation." These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. Church, I think it's no secret that entering into a new season of my life, I turned 22 here recently, and I'm proud to say that my frat days are behind me. Oh, come on! Yes, somebody say amen! <laughs> I used to read this promise as a threat. Namely, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession, a kingdom of priests. But that pronouncement of a promise became a pronouncement that I couldn't. And that you mean I, when you heard if, you thought you couldn't? Yes, absolutely. Uh, if was you will not. And that promise became for me a threat. But you have to take into account the first half of this verse. I was a slave, but he's brought me this far. Amen. He not only brought me here, but he's making me into a treasured possession. 
And if that wasn't enough, and husbands, look at your treasured possession that's sitting next to you. You're welcome. He is now making me into a priest to represent him to the entire world. It's amazing how a man's perspective can change when he goes up higher. When he goes up onto the mountain of the Lord. He gets a different view of things. Am I the only man in the room that worries you might not have what it takes? Shouldn't we take comfort in the fact that Adonai can make us into what he wants us to be? Oh, come on! God is making me into a priest. And this is what he's doing for every man in this room. We're going to have to elevate our view and get on the mountain so we can actually see what God intended Hallelujah. for us. Used to be a slave, but were carried to this place. What would make you think that any of this depends on your performance? The My truth is, is when you recognize the goodness of God, you really just want to perform better because of your love for him. But you also know it wasn't performance that got you there. You know, church, we're an odd bunch. We're Israel-centric. We're more than Israel-centric. We're Israel-dependent. And yet, this very passage that we've just read from Exodus 19 is something that Peter builds upon in 1 Peter 2.9. And he says, but you... We're a chosen people. Come on. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. A people that belong to God. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Amen. Did you think that that was a one-time process? <laughs> yeah. yeah. We have come and we are still coming out of darkness. But this verse boldly declares that his wonderful light is our future. Come on. That's our destination. Amen. That's where we're going. Because we were chosen. Israel was chosen first and you are a mysteriously included mongrel called a Gentile. <laughs> but nevertheless, you were chosen. Peter said you were called to be Royal. You may not look like you're royal. You may not feel like you're royal. The only time I've been called royal anything ended in an expletive. <laughs> Pastor Wade is very pure. I'm not sure he understood what they were saying there. But the truth is, God has chosen you and called you to be royal. Come on. For some reason, what we hear in that is, I'm not, and I'm not living up to it. You forget our God speaks things into existence that were not. Hallelujah. His word will transform you and cause you to become what he says you are. Amen. Hear this one from 1 Peter 2.9. We are a people that belong to the Lord. No, it's, it's not we're people who are trying to get to. We belong to him. Yeah. Come on. He purchased us. He owns us. He speaks over us. And we will become what he says. Oh, yeah. This morning, we're going to gain a higher perspective of our own identity and our relationship to our brothers. 
You know where all of this really has to come from, though? Yeah. It's how 1 Peter 2.9 ended. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. It might be time to start praising our God for what he says you are becoming rather than how you feel like you presently are. Oh, then do it. Oh, I, I don't think he could hear you. Praise him. Now, if you're in this church as a guest, and I don't know, because I'm kind of a guest speaker today. It's been a month since I was here. Don't let it bother you that we speak out loud. Look to your left or right. You'll find somebody from another nation. And you'll find out that it's okay to speak out loud in church. Even you cracker white people. It'll be just fine. I happen to be standing here. With two men that were just my sons. Except today, they are my brothers and fellow priests. Look, there's a radical transformation going on in identity. That's what our God is doing among us. The elevation of our brothers to equal priesthood status. That's what's happening all around us. I pray to God that you have the opportunity... To raise somebody from diapers to adulthood that you still know somewhere in your heart is your son. But you look at and see they're taller, they're more handsome, they're more anointed, and they are more used by God than you. This makes them brothers. Saints, while we're all beginning to praise God for what we know that we are becoming, it's necessary that we clinch with the reality. In this house, we don't sugarcoat things. We speak the honest truth. The honest truth is that all sons and daughters worry about failure, especially the legitimate ones who want to please the Father. This is because we do often fail, and the three of us are a prime example of that on the stage. <laughs> it's not that it's based just out of fear. It is also based on the tangible reality that you are perceiving in the natural eyes all of your life. But saints, can we tell you today that this is a part of the process of being made into a priest. Amen. See, in our development, there is no circumstance that can keep us from becoming what Adonai says we are becoming if we refuse to quit before him. Come on. So I'm going to share another passage with you that errantly has engendered feelings of inadequacy and failure in men. It's Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 5. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your might. Saints, when you hear the words, you shall, it is certainly a command from God. It is a command and it is a directive. But never should it be perceived as a threat from God. It is a promise from a father saying, you shall do these things. Amen. This is God speaking to his people that we have had the opportunity to be grafted into in advance, knowing all of the years of rebellion, of trial, of difficulty that would later come throughout Israel's history. And he says in advance, 
No, you, my sons and daughters, you shall. Saints, can we tell you that every family in this room is and is becoming a priesthood? Somebody say, I'm a priesthood. I'm a priesthood. And I'm becoming a priesthood. I'm becoming a priesthood. You are becoming a priesthood that will love the Lord with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and all of your might, because your God says you shall. You shall. Now, can I tell you that growing up in the Stevens household, there was no other choice. You shall become a priest. Should it really be any different in the larger household of God? I mean, I don't know how many decades we've been preaching about how to rightly define your family, but this is the family of God. Hallelujah. Our father has said that we shall rise in the priesthood. He's comfortable with working through our own inadequacy and bringing us to completion. This house in every way will raise generations that shall love the Lord with all of their heart, with all of their mind, all of their being, all of their intellect, and all of their strength. We shall move to the prophets. <laughs> yeah, and that clock is not right, just so you know. It's lying to us. I wasn't paying attention in the first place, unfortunately. Uh, that's a true Stephen's quality right there. <laughs> We're going to go to Isaiah 54, starting in verse 11. While we're getting there, I can't help but comment on that some. When you hear that there was no other choice, that wasn't uh, some overbearing father figure that just beat us into shape. That honestly became a promise and a comfort that no matter how bad it is right now, there is no other outcome of my life than a priest. There is no other outcome of your life than a priest if you just don't quit. You're not being beat into a priest. You're being formed and made into one. You just don't Hallelujah. give up. On that note, O oh, afflicted city, lashed by storms and not comforted, I will build you with stones of turquoise, your foundations with sapphires. I will make your battlements of rubies, your gates of sparkling jewels, and all your walls of precious stones. All your sons will be taught by the Lord, and great will your children be your children's peace. Church, I have often felt like a storm-lashed city. I just had a job transition. One of those that was not of my own volition and was entirely my fault. <laughs> if you catch my drift. <laughs> we do. <laughs> yeah. It's not the end, Spencer. Sometimes there's even something better on the other side, isn't there? Amen. My wife and I have been fighting for children for some time now. And there's often not very good reports about that either. And then there's the consistent failure upon attempting new things. It seems to kind of be the side effect of anything you try to do you haven't done before as you mess it up the first time. It's true. However, 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 however <laughs> my God has been comforting me in the midst of a storm, in the middle of it. It's a magical thing. The storm doesn't go away, but you find courage in the middle of it. Amen. My God has been teaching me I'm not just a soldier. I'm not just a beast of burden. I don't just say yes, sir, and do what I'm told. I am actually being built into something that is both strong and beautiful. Yeah, say it with me. I'm beautiful. I won't do it to you, Hayes. It's okay. 
from the foundation to the walls, my God is making me strong and precious. Why are you smiling, Sydney? It's a scripture. Am I the only person in this room who has felt like they were in a chaotic storm of affliction? No. Nope. When in reality, you were actually being made into a beautiful and strong priest? Hallelujah. Well, today, today, we're going to get up on that mountain and gain a higher view of things. Say it with me, church. I am not just an afflicted city. I am, I am not, not an afflicted city. I am also being built. I am also being built. Into a battlement of precious stones. Into a battlement of precious stones. Church, did you guys catch verse 13? How? All your sons will be taught by the Lord. That's like, you shall. All your sons will be taught by the Lord. And great will be your children's peace. I am a father who has raised sons. They stand before you now as my brothers in Christ. Can I tell you how many times I felt like an abject failure as a father? I shared stories with them that never should have been shared. They sowed little seeds in their heart that I then had to deal with later in their life. And I knew it was my fault. I shared jokes with my sons that not only should not have been shared with them, they should not have been shared with anybody. As a father, I missed important events that I never should have missed. Am I the only parent in this room that is worried about being a failure to your children? No. no. But we have a promise from our great God. Yes. All your sons will be taught by the Lord. Amen. And it's better than that. And great will be your children's peace. Oh, yeah. Nice. You should underline that one for those uh, fugly years of teenage behavior. Yeah, those faithless, ugly years. You can look at their behavior sometimes and be discouraged because you know it's a reflection of your own sinful heart and what you didn't get right. But you are being perfected and they are being perfected and we have a word from God. They will be taught. I want you guys to say this with me. This morning we're going back to the ecumenical style where there's call and response. Me and my children, me and my children will be taught by the Lord. Will be taught by the Lord. We will become priests. Will become priest. Saints, you've been hearing imagery about a city that was afflicted and made strong. And at the same time, it speaks about sons that are associated. We're going to pick up in Revelation 21 and begin to build a picture of how the culmination of the ages will be formed. This is in verse 9 of Revelation 21. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Saints, the first thing that we want you to notice is how John the Revelator has received this vision. 
The text says, and he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high. Saints, the spirit of Jesus carried John up. Somebody say up. Up. Carried John up to a great mountain. And there, that is the place that he gained a perspective that helped him to see what God was building. Namely, the bride, the wife of the Lamb, which is also the holy city of God and the Jerusalem that is coming down out of heaven. Can I tell you that today there is a revelation for you to gain? The revelation that you're going to gain is about a holy city that you are personally and are becoming. To grasp the weight of this revelation, we must go up together. We must go up in the spirit of God in this house. Something in us must rise to his mountain and his heavenly perspective. In Abraham's life in Genesis 22, he gained a greater perspective of the Savior to come when he went up Mount Moriah with Isaiah or with Isaac. Moses, he gained a greater revelation of the promised land that the people of God would inherit. But he did it as he went up onto Mount Nebo in Deuteronomy 32. Peter, the apostle who had so many failing moments and rose to such courage and reflection of Christ. He gained the weight of God's glory in Matthew 17 when he went up the mountain of transfiguration and saw Moses, Elijah, and Jesus in his full glory. Saints, there's a pattern here and something that we can participate in and grasp. I'm just going to tell you as a command, as a charge, that we are going to go up today. We're going to go up to a high mountain in the spirit of Jesus, the great high priest, so that every man, woman, and child from Cody to me, from Ibrahim to me in this house can gain a greater, greater revelation of the city of God and our own lives. We're going to pick up in verse 11 and go through 14 here. It shone with the glory of God. And its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel. Come on, it did. Like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and with 12 angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the tribes, 12 tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The wall of the city had 12 foundations. And on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Church, this is where we are going. We are going higher. We are going to shine forth with the glory of God. Like having a smile in a dark room. This is our destination. Your course is set. Your gate is fast. There's no other end to this journey than at this place with your God. How many of the 12 tribes were lost? None. Was that because they had no failures? Definitely not. Is that because they had no inadequacies? No. I think we're going to have to believe what the scripture says is true. That his word is the lamp unto your feet and the light unto your path. He will help you believe with every step. And then he will help you believe with every step after that. Because the God who promised our destination is able to perform what he promised for you. I'm going to believe that what the scripture says is true. Do you need to grow into the belief that you will become a precious battlement of jewels? Yes. This is what Adonai says you will become. Going on up to, to the, the east side. Gonna get that deluxe apartment in the sky. 
We're not talking about the Jeffersons. <laughs> not talking about something you watch on the television. We're talking about a physical reality that God himself has declared. Yeah. And it's going to shine. And it is you. There's an important facet of the passage that we're going to need to draw your attention to now. So those of you taking notes like memo right in the center of the church, setting a strong example. So that you'll be able to connect what we're going to do today. In the passage that Gabe read, three tribes were named to the east. Which direction? East. How many were named? Three. Then there were three to the north. Then there were three to the south. Then there were three to the west. That might feel like a meaningless detail to you. But if you listen to us preach before you, you know it's not. It's going to make more sense to you as we go. I want you to read what these four walls with three tribes on each of the four walls is described like in Revelation 21, 19. The foundation of the city walls. The foundation of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was Jasper. The second, Sapphire. The third, Chalcedony. The fourth, Emerald. The fifth, Sardonyx. The sixth, Carnelian. The seventh, Chrysolite. The eighth, Beryl. The ninth, Topaz. The tenth, Chrysophase. Nailed it. And the eleventh, Jacinth, a little town on the east side of Texas. And the twelfth, Amethyst, different than a Methodist. <laughs> the 12 tribes of Israel were stationed in groups of three. Come on. The 12 tribes of Israel were stationed in groups arranged in the cardinal directions of the compass, meaning north, east, <laughs> I can't speak today, east, south, and west. The 12 tribes were represented by 12 kinds of precious stones, each unique from one another, that formed the battlement for the dwelling of God, just as Isaiah 54 said would happen. Somebody say that that imagery is beautiful. I agree with you. As beautiful as the imagery in Revelation is, however, it makes little sense and has no practical implementation for our lives if we don't understand where the imagery comes from and what it was originally intended to convey. So with that in mind, we're going to go from Revelation all the way to Exodus 28 and get an idea of the origin point. This is Exodus 28, beginning in verse 1. Then bring near to you Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him from among the people of Israel to serve me as priests. Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar, four sons. Now at this point, you may think that this has no relevance to the imagery in Revelation. You'd be wrong, but it would be understandable at this point. Yes. You've been wrong before, it's going to be okay. <laughs> the connection will become obvious as we progress. But for now, we're going to do something that's fun. We're going to engage with the oddity of this event. Moses, the great prophet. I mean, the one who delivered God's people from Egypt. The one that in the tent of meeting actually spoke to God face to face like a man speaks to his friend. 
Moses, the same guy who was on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus in Matthew 17. I mean, we're talking the Charlton Heston version of Moses with the flowing silver mane. There is no figure that is referred to in the word more than Moses in the Old and New Testament. Do you know what else Moses was? Moses was the little brother. The baby brother. The The younger brother. Aaron was the older brother. Adonai chose to utilize the younger brother to bring Aaron and his sons near for service as priests. This would be like Gabe bringing me, Titus, Benaiah, Yoshev, and Jehu, my four sons, forward for work. Saints, can I tell you this morning that everything that God wants to build into you, he will use your brothers to accomplish it? Even your younger brothers? It's good news, Jamarian. Yes. Yeah. That's a Solomon in the making. Church, it's important to fully grasp that when God wants to build something, he always uses men to do it. Adonai used a little brother to help establish the older brother and his sons as the priesthood of God. In effect, establishing the origin point and prototype for every single priest to come. Verse 2. And you shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for beauty. I need some of that. I'm missing it. <laughs> you shall speak to all the skillful whom I have filled with a spirit of skill, that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him for my priesthood. Look, church, I've been true to character with you guys in my transparency with my struggles to believe that I can be a holy priest. What is an astounding revelation, though, is I'm not only called to be a priest and being made into a priest, but God wants to use me to ensure and build my brother's priesthood and his son's priesthood generationally for all time. How could I possibly embark on such a task? I mean, I'm just getting my head on straight enough to start to believe that I can be a priest. You shall! I mean... Look at him. Look at Judah. How on earth could I have something to offer him? When I'm looking at him, I'm tempted to believe that there's not much that I could offer him. Truth is, that is the thing. How am I, as I understand what Jesus is doing in me, then I begin to understand how I can build and offer something to my brother. Besides... It was never about me anyways. I'm not that special. The answer is given in the text of how. And I mean like, how do you do this? It says, with whom I have filled with the spirit of skill. The truth is, is it would never rest on my ability, but on my obedience to his empowerment. Practically, church, because we like to give real practical steps. How do you do this? Well... It's our job to speak the word of God to our brothers. Come on. Can we start there? Can we get an amen with actually speaking the word of God? Amen. After that, as empowered by the spirit of God, it is our job to clothe them with the attributes of Christ. It is our job to remind them of what God has already said they are. Anybody have Abigail traits in their pocket for their wife? 
Could we get some of that for our brothers in here as well? I love when the answers are in the text. How does a little brother do something for a bigger brother? He says, whom I have filled with the spirit of skill. It sounds to me like the word in the spirit helps you perform your priestly functions. I mean, you have to have God's word that says what your brothers are to become. You need to be agreeing with God. You can't just make it up like, I love this time where they're like, you could be anything you want to be. You could be the president. Well, here lately, it does seem like just anybody could be the president. But the reality is you can't all play in the NBA. You can't all be astronauts. You can't all do those things. People that say that are disingenuous in every way because they don't believe what they're saying. It's our job to hear from God about our brother's identity and then be empowered by the Spirit to speak it. We're going to work through these verses together. But we don't want you to miss what's happening in them. So we're taking our time this morning. We're making sure the family jewels are on full display. Adonai wants there to be a nation of priests. He then starts with the first priest from whom all other priests would come. That's Aaron and his four sons. They're a prototype. They're an origination point. Aaron's priestly garments actually come from his brother, his little brother. When you're thinking about this, remember something. Moses made Aaron's garments... But Moses never would have become the prophet or deliverer of Israel had Aaron not joined him in Exodus 4. Do you remember that Moses was scared, thought he didn't speak well, felt inadequate, wasn't going to do it? God actually gets angry with him. Who made man's mouth, Moses? And Moses was strengthened and encouraged when he realized that his older brother, was coming to help him in the mission. Come on. And Exodus 4.14 says that Aaron, God said about Aaron's heart, his heart to be glad when he sees you. None of us are independent of each other. We each need our brothers, and our brothers need us. That's the only way that any of us become what the Lord says that we'll become. And we are going to become exactly what the Lord says we're going to become. So we're going to read verse 4. And I, with all of my heart, would love to work through every facet of clothing that we're about to read. And, and we can't. We're not going to have time to do that. And you would be overwhelmed with the detail and forget why we're doing this. So we're going to read verse 4 and then pick one item of clothing. These are the garments that they shall make. A breast piece. You can pick one of those up at Popeye's Chicken. <laughs> These are the garments that they shall make. A breastpiece, an ephod, a robe, a coat of checkerwork, a turban, and a sash. They shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, and his sons to serve me as priest. Every item that Adonai wanted made for the priesthood, every single one, was made by his brothers and fellow Israelites. This is how God builds the priesthood. See, we think that God will do it, and he will. But everything that he does on earth, he tends to do through his body on earth, which is you and I. Israel is a nation of priests. When a man understands his identity in Christ, 
then he can begin to assist in the development of his brother's calling and function. But when you don't know who you are, it's very hard for you to be speaking to other people about who they are. So there's a process and an order here. We're going to focus on the breast piece that Moses made for Aaron. That brings us down to verse 15 in the same chapter of Exodus. Fashion a breast piece for making decisions. The work of a skilled craftsman. Make it like the ephod of gold and of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and of finely twisted linen. It is to be square, a span long and a span wide, and folded double. Then mount four rows of precious stones on it. In the first row, there shall be a ruby, a topaz, and a barrel. Three stones per row. In the second row, a turquoise, a sapphire, and an emerald. In the third row, a jacinth, an agate, and an amethyst. In the fourth row, a chrysolite, an onyx, and a jasper. Mount them in gold filigree settings. There are to be 12 stones, one for each of the names of the sons of Israel, each engraved like a seal with the name of one of the 12 tribes. So saints, do you remember the bride and city described in Revelation? The names of the tribes were on the city walls. Three tribes faced each direction of the compass, and the foundations of the city walls were made of 12 kinds of precious stones. When people think about Aaron's breast piece, they don't make the correlation to the city and bride described in Revelation. Moreover, they don't take into account what the Tanakh says about the tribal arrangements. This causes us to miss something that displays the glory and the beauty of Adonai. For now, let's focus on what every Google image of the high priest's breastplate looks like. Because Google's always right. Isn't it pretty? And it is definitely completely wrong. Wrong. But telling you that it is wrong is not enough. We're going to keep reading so that you will get the revelation yourself and see it in the scripture. Would you like to learn about it? Yes. Exodus 28, verse 29 through 30. Whenever Aaron enters the holy place, he will bear the names of the sons of Israel over his heart on the breastpiece of decision as a continual, continuing memorial before the Lord. Also put the Urim and the Thummim in the breastpiece so that they may be over Aaron's heart whenever he enters the presence of the Lord. Thus, Aaron will always bear the means of making decisions for the Israelites over his heart before the Lord. Let's look at our typical image of the breast piece again. All right, ask yourself, where's the Urim and the Thummim? That's right, they left something out. How many Christians can even describe what the Urim and the Thummim are? My apologies. <laughs> we love would love to cover that with you in every reference, but it would detract from the larger point that the Lord has given us. So let's refresh our memory with a slide. The Thummim and the Urim were sacred objects given to the priesthood for making decisions. As you read in Exodus 28, they were supposed to be placed in the breastpiece over Aaron's heart. In other words, right in the center. As you can see on the slide, the Thummim in Hebrew translates something like complete integrity. When it appears in the LXX, it's translated as truth, perfectness, perfections. 
The Thummim should be thought of as the Word of God. What should the Thummim be thought of? On the right hand of the screen, you see the Urim. In Hebrew, it translates to fires. Where are my charismatics? Fires. I'm sorry, Justin. Urim. Okay, yeah, there we go. Urim. Yeah, yeah. Got it. <laughs> when it appears in the LXX, it's translated as manifestation, manifestations, or lights. Urim should be thought of as the Spirit of God. What should it be thought of as? The Spirit of God. I can't emphasize enough how important it is to have the Word and the Spirit over your heart at all times. This is true when I'm thinking about myself or when I'm thinking about my brothers. I need the Word and the Spirit over my heart at all times. At all times. Even in the morning before coffee, after work when you get home, at all times. The word and the spirit really have to be the center of your thoughts. This is because the Lord has called me to be a priest and has called me to clothe my brothers in their priesthood and his sons in priestly garments. And when we really think about this for just a minute, your interactions based off of the word and spirit with your brother, well, it has an effect on them, but they're strong. They'll stand back up. When you realize that you're speaking to every single one of these boys here and everything they will do when you're speaking to Judah, it adds an emphasis of the necessity of all times. Am I the only one in the room that would struggle to build my brother's priesthood, ensure it, and clothe him if I didn't have the word and spirit on my heart at all times? No. One of the most painfully obvious revelations for me lately has been I am being built into a priest, and I'm beginning to build my brothers into a priest. But it can only be done, and I mean only, with the word and the spirit over your heart at all times. Church, this is something I think we all need to grasp. All right, so what's wrong with our picture again? So they left out the word and the spirit? That's worse than forgetting Jesus at the temple and going on. <laughs> I mean, they left out the whole point. But there's far more wrong with this picture than that. Numbers 2 tells us exactly what the encampment of Israel looked like. In fact, the 12 tribes were separated into three groupings of three tribes each. I'm sorry, into groupings of three tribes each. Each of those four collections, four collections of three tribes each, we're told to camp in the four cardinal directions of the compass. They're told to camp to the east, to the south, to the west, to the north. That looks something like this. On this slide, in the east, you can see that Judah is camped. And he's camped next to Issachar and Zebulun. They all camped under one banner that looked like a lion. In the south. You can see that Reuben was encamped right next to Gad and Simeon. They all camped under a banner that looked like the face of a man. In the west, you can see that Ephraim, he, he was camped with his brothers Benjamin and Manasseh. They all encamped under a banner that looked like an ox. Then you can see Dan with his brother Asher and his brother Naphtali. They all encamped under Something that had the face of an eagle. Saints, in Exodus 28, 17, 
It tells us that there must be 12 precious stones, each with the name of a tribe on it. They must be separated into four rows of three tribes each. The encampment of the brotherhood of Israel is pictured right here. That's how Numbers 2 says they have to encamp. You can see that there are four rows of tribes and there are three tribes in each grouping. We could tell you that this tribal arrangement mirrors the throne of God in Ezekiel 1 and Ezekiel 10. We could tell you that there are living creatures with the face of a lion, a man, an ox, and an eagle, and God is enthroned upon them. We could tell you that, and you would draw the conclusion that God is enthroned upon his people. We could likewise turn to Revelation 4 and see that Revelation 4 teaches exactly the same arrangement. But what we'd rather do is ask you, what is in the middle of that tribal arrangement? That's right. The tabernacle, the holy of holies, is in the center of this arrangement. Perhaps at this point, we should look at an aerial view, or put another way, a mountaintop perspective of the tribal arrangement. Going on up. Since the high priest of Israel, he wore the encampment of his brothers on his chest. The very center of the encampment was the Holy of Holies, where the Word and Spirit of God dwells. The center of the breastpiece was the Thummim and the Urim. The high priest wore a breastpiece on his chest that named every tribe of Israel as an engraved precious stone. The center of the breastpiece held the representation of the Word and the Spirit, or the Thummim and Urim. We're going to read Exodus 28, 29 to you again. And sound booth, leave that slide on the screen while I read this. Whenever Aaron enters the holy place, he will bear the names of the sons of Israel over his heart on the breastpiece of decision as a continuing memorial before the Lord. Also put the Urim and the Thummim in the breastpiece so they may be over Aaron's heart. Whenever he enters the presence of the Lord. Thus Aaron will always bear the means of making decisions for the Israelites over his heart before the Lord. Saints, the purpose of this entire breastpiece is so that the priest will bear the means of making decisions always. This is because the priest is clothed with his brothers and then he makes every single decision in his life based on what the word and the spirit of God say as he enters into the holy of holies in regard and relationship to the outcome of his brothers and their lives. The breast piece is so that he will have the means of making decisions. Three, three times the text says it has to be over his heart. The center of the breastpiece is the Urim and the Thummim. The means of making decision. It is in relationship to the encampment of every other brother. Hey man, what's the Lord been showing you in the word? Well, he's been showing me I'm a champion. You're definitely in the wrong church. Not reading your Bible. A priest is searching the word and the spirit. In the encampment of his brothers so that he can clothe them in the function God has called them to be. 
his means of making decisions is the word in the spirit in proximity to every one of the precious stones that are his brothers. Can you hear how that destroys individuality? Can you hear how that cures toxic independence? What if every time you open your Bible, it was not just to decide something about you. It was for the benefit of every person that you now sit in community with. Now, we know this can be difficult to visualize. Any of you like me and trying to work this out in your head, how this all structures together on this one breast piece? Four rows of three has got to be a rectangle. It can only be a rectangle. It's a rectangle. I know the engineers have already figured it out, but for construction workers like me, it's a little bit harder. So my father, uh, he put something together for us because the family of Israel was arranged as precious jewels on the chest of the original priests. This is the family jewels, by the way. My father has never loved technology. No. In fact, we didn't even allow video games or cable television. A little bit after second grade, he wasn't even particularly fond of cell phones. So he really did his best with this next slide. <laughs> I, I tried. <laughs> the representation is accurate, and it reflects both the tribal arrangements and the way the breast piece would actually have looked. Remember, the breast piece was to be over Aaron's heart, so that every decision he made was in reference to the word and the spirit and his brothers. His brothers that God called to be precious jewels in his building of a nation of priests. I was very proud of my father for trying. This is honestly a little too childlike of a depiction. He's right. I love that it helps you begin to visualize how the tribes were stationed on the breastplate, but it is childlike. Pastor Judah also made a slide. Oh man, does it give us a better depiction? Here you can see Judah camped to the east, and that would be a precious stone. Issachar camped to the east, a precious stone. Zebulun, a precious stone. You can see the cardinal directions, just like the walls in the city in the book of Revelation. And this is what the breast piece would look like. The original high priest had 12 precious stones on his chest at all times. Each stone had the names of his brothers on it. They were arranged exactly like the normal tribal encampment because God loves patterns. They display something in the heavenlies. This is what God's fire and his presence dwelt over. The very center of the structure of the tabernacle or the Urim and Thummim or what is over Aaron's heart is the menorah of God, the sevenfold spirit and the table of his presence and his throne. This is how Aaron had the ability to make decisions with the Thummim and the Urim. Now, you're going to read all kinds of commentaries that are like, one rock was white, one was black. And I'm like, racist. <laughs> and, and whichever they pulled out of the bag, that it's, it's like a magic eight ball. Those people um, lack perception. Uh, God doesn't use magic eight balls. Okay. And if you have a different definition of a magic eight ball, see Pastor Matthew. He'll counsel you about drug addiction. 
every decision made was in reference to the word and the spirit. Amen. Matt doesn't know anything about eight balls. That was my house growing up, not, not Matt's. I'm sorry, Miss Pat, wherever you are, don't, don't poison me. Okay. Every decision was made in reference to the word, the spirit, and his brothers. Every decision. Somebody say every decision. Every decision. Now, I'm really, I'm proud of Judah's effort with that slide. <laughs> I mean, to be honest, for me, it's just a little too close to Pride Month to use that coloring. <laughs> I feel like maybe it could be on a Target t-shirt. <laughs> you know, like, I don't know, tuck that away somewhere. <laughs> My father is right. That last uh, rendition was a little happy. Happy. Sweet. Perhaps we should look at a third representation that Gabe made. Yes. So that we get a clear perspective of what the high priest bore on his chest as a means for making decisions always before the Lord. This slide is significantly better. Behold. Yeah. yeah. You beginning to picture the way that we have a square and the tribal encampment stamped onto it with the Urim and Thummim there in the middle. So look, none of these slides are ever going to be adequate in the representation of something so profoundly beautiful. I mean, it was designed by God himself. It was God who was showing us a higher view of our relationship to one another and to him this morning. See, the concept that a priest and Saints, we are all called to be priests in this house. Would make every decision. Somebody say every decision. Every. Every decision in his life based on the word and the spirit and his relationship to his brothers. Saints, this is literally an out of the world concept. Something that is not conceived of. In the natural mind. No, in, in this world and in the natural mind, you hear all kind of demonic thoughts like, I can serve God anywhere, which means you won't serve him anywhere. The very emblem on the chest of the first high priest showed the proper arrangement with your brothers is the only way you will ever make right decisions. Now, we want to read something to you guys written between the second and third century BC. It comes from the letters of Aristius. Not particularly fond of the Greeks in many fashions, but... Uh, smooth face Greeks. baby face Greeks. This thing was pretty good, yeah. so I think we ought to. The letters of Aristius are purported to be an eyewitness account of a temple ceremony on the Day of Atonement. The letters are mentioned by Josephus, as well as the Babylonian Talmud. The time frame they are reported to be taking place is just after the composition of the LXX. Regardless of how someone views the letters of Aristius, they contain important thoughts surrounding the imagery of the Day of Atonement from an outside perspective. More importantly, they are the way that seeing these things would have come across to any observer. Speaking about the high priest, Aristius says, He was girded with a girdle of conspicuous beauty, woven in the most beautiful colors. On his breast he wore the oracle of God, as it is called, on which 12 stones of different kinds were inset, fastened together with gold, containing the names of the letters of the tribes, according to their original order. 
each one flashing forth in an indescribable way in its own particular color. On his head, he wore a tiara, as it is called. And upon this it is the middle of his forehead an inimitable turban, the royal diadem full of the glory with the name of God inscribed in sacred letters on the plate of gold. Wow. Having been judged worthy to wear these emblems in the, in the ministrations, their appearance created such awe and confusion of mind as to make, some, make one feel as if one had come into the presence of a man belonging to a different world. As if you had come into the presence of a man from a different world. Brothers, we need to consider these family jewels. I want you to think for a second on what Hebrews says. Hebrews 4.14 Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Come on. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Aaron was the original or prototype of the high priest. Jesus is the one who actually did step into this Come world on. from another realm. Yeah. Every single decision that Jesus ever made was made by the word of God. Come on. The Spirit of God yes. and for the benefit of his brothers that he was making into a nation of priests. Come on. Yeah. This is our truest example of what our lives must look like. Amen. You have your little bracelet. What would Jesus do? Why drink Jack Daniels? Whatever it means to you. Look, Jesus is in the spirit and function of a high priest. Come on. If you're going to walk like Jesus, act like Jesus, be like Jesus, be a member of Jesus' body, then you have the means of making decisions, which is the spirit and word of God buried in your heart in relationship to your stationing among the brothers in this room. Yeah. We're called to bear the brotherhood of believers over our hearts at all times. Peter says, love the brotherhood of believers. Yeah. And in our hearts must be a burning word from God and the fiery spirit of God. Come on. So that every decision that we are making is aimed at one ultimate goal. Developing the people in this room into the nation of priests that God says they will be. Hallelujah. In order to do this. You first have to climb the mountain of God to get his perspective on who he says you are so that you might know who your brothers are. Come on. It's true. Then we have to get his perspective or his declared word regarding our brothers so that you can speak what God is speaking about them. We then join with God and begin to clothe our brothers in the words that are garments that will encourage their deeds as priests. The Lord is in fact building a nation of priests. And you are the ones that he wants to use to do it. Not just by you becoming a priest. But by you making other priests. Through every word that you join with your father in and pronounce. Pastor Sutherland and I have been doing this for each other for almost 30 years. 
we remind each other of who God says we are. We have grown in our priesthood because we are in proximity with one another. The word in the spirit, when we look into it, we see prophetic life for each other. Neither one of us would be where we stand today without the other one because you are not called as an individual to do this alone. Saints, in this room, there is none of you that have a problem with the idea that Jesus is the perfect great high priest. In fact, our children in the back in their Sunday school lessons would learn that immediately. The problem is, we are painfully aware of the degree to which we are not perfect high priest. See, there's a reason that we began with the promises of God that speak about his ability to make a people into a priesthood who are not yet perfected. So again, we want to tell you that you shall become the priesthood he's yeah. called you to. You shall! Although we are not perfected priests, we are priests that are in progress. You remember how we talked to you about Aaron as the prototype, as the origin point for all priests who would come? Well, Aaron wasn't perfect yet either. What God declared about him became true as he followed Adonai. You may remember our brothers shared this text not too long ago from Exodus 28, verse 36. It says, make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it as on a seal, holy to the Lord. Since Adonai declared that Aaron was holy to the Lord. And he used Moses, his younger brother, to proclaim it. But do you guys remember what Aaron was doing at the very moment that God said that about him? Yeah, that's right. He was leading the people in Exodus 32 into the rebellious golden calf incident at the same time. Put that into perspective for a second. Gabe in his time with the Lord realizes that he has to take a brick of gold. Which means he has to have a brick of gold. (laughs) Then he has to inscribe on it. Either the divine name or the words holy to the Lord. That takes some time. He's kind of excited because he's got this word from God. And he's bringing it in a gold brick to fasten on that forehead. That's why your hair's receding. It gives you more room for the brick. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Ask me how I know. (laughs) He got mom's blue eyes. He got her blonde hair. Yeah. I don't know. You, You and I got our rugged good looks though. So he's carrying the gold brick, the plate to put on his head. And by the way, the four boys right there are with Judah. And when Gabe shows up with the, you know, I got something for you from God. I'm going to put on your head. He's making a golden calf with his sons and the rest of Israel. And leading the rest of the people in that rebellion. And when little brother's like, what are you doing? Like, I don't know. I I took Sydney and Emmy's earrings. I threw them in the fire and the calf came out. You know, I mean, quite obvious what happened here. It was was the earrings. You know how these people are. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's who God said to go put this emblem on his head. Look, our goal here in engaging with the truth about Aaron's life is not really just to nail Aaron to the wall because you know what he becomes. Yeah. 
There's a truth that we must grab hold of. Your temporary failure does not change what Adonai has destined you for. Come on! Come on. The only thing that can change it, saints, is if you quit and give up. But if you keep moving, he will keep working into you what is pleasing to him. Aaron didn't quit. The Lord knows what you are and what you will be. So he is going to continually build into you if you trust him. More than that, you need to gain this truth that it is your brothers that he will use to do so. Did the Lord appear to Aaron and tell him he's holy to the Lord? No. Who did he use? Used his younger brother to do so. Not only did Aaron become holy to the Lord, but he also wore his brother's names upon his chest and invested the word and the spirit into his own heart so that he could join with Adonai in making the nation into a nation of priests as Exodus 19 says they will become. Now remember, Moses, he never would have begun the implementation of his calling at all without his brother helping him believe that Adonai would make him worthy as he walked in the way in obedience in Exodus 4. Aaron, Aaron would never have been marked or inscribed as holy to the Lord without Moses climbing the mountain of God to gain the perspective of what Adonai was building into Aaron. Saints, can we all say this morning that we need our brothers and our brothers need us? I read that somewhere. Oh, yeah, it's right above Pastor Linton's head. See, that's inscribing upon Justin Linton what I know God says he will be. Saints, in this house, we are going to succeed. And we're going to do so by first receiving the identity that God has spoken to us about. Believing that he has purchased us and he will work in us. We will do this in the face of failures, in the face of mistakes, in the face of things that look to the contrary, believing that God will move if we do not yield. This kind of faith will allow us to grow. Do you want to grow in this house? This kind of faith will allow us to grow to the point that we can have that kind of faith for what Adonai says about our brothers as well. And hear this, even in spite of the circumstances, their present struggling and their present failures, knowing what God has spoken will come to pass if we do not give up on them. So let's engage with this for a second. If you are completely dethroned and set aside because you had a minor setback and they're all minor in light of eternity. If you cannot muster the faith to overcome a failure that you have had, how will you ever begin to have faith for your brother's identity when they are also struggling? You're going to have to trust the God of the man more than what you see in the man's present circumstances. Yeah, what you guys just said is so good. And I'm going to take it a little bit further if I can. Do it! That's what the generation does. They're taller, they're more handsome, they go further. I know that there are some of you guys that are just like me. That it's not just the failure that was last week or yesterday, but you sit there and you're scribing down on your little tablet in your mind 
every failure that you can think of in that moment that relates to the last time you failed in this area. And even worse, you begin to get so critical of yourself that all you can do is write down and scribe in the failures of your brother that relate to the last failure that they had. It's not the mounting weight of the last mistake that you made. It's the mounting weight of any 50,000 things that may or may not have actually happened that are sitting on your shoulders that you failed. And you failed last time, you failed this time, you're going to fail again. I'd like, like to do something. Stand up for me, Joe. Stand up, Jaron. Josephus! Jaron! Both of you men are walking in the light of the Lord, and you have the names of your brothers inscribed on your hearts. Not your last failure or your last 50. What is on your hearts is the calling and the priesthood of your brothers that you will be inscribing them with. Church, let's do something. Throw the list away. Burn it. Let it burn up in the spirit and gain from the word the next thing to clothe your brother with. Throw the list away. Why don't we put Zechariah 3.3 on the screen? Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes. As he stood before the angel, the angel said to those who were standing before him, take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, see, I have taken away your sin and I will put rich garments on you. Then I said, put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him while the angel of the Lord stood by. It would certainly be easy to miss it here, church. And I did the first time we read through it. It's not the angel that is putting the clean turban on his head. It was the men that were with Joshua who actually clothed him. So priest is standing here. Angel of the Lord is here. And the angel of the Lord says, put a turban on his head. And there are brothers standing here putting it on him. It's better than that. I, the angel of the Lord, will put on his head a clean turban. Gabe put a clean turban on his head. That's what the text actually conveys. Brothers, you're going to have to come to the reality that what you are doing for your brothers is because God declared it. I often forget that I have been declared a holy priest before the Lord. Sometimes, I mean, rarely. I actually get my priestly garments dirty. I need the brotherhood in my life to remind me that I'm wearing a sign on my forehead that says holy to the Lord. Remember though, it's on my forehead. I can't see it. The times that my brothers have reminded me of my priestly identity have saved my life and my soul. Hallelujah. I plan to spend the rest of my life helping to remind and clothe my brothers in their priestly garments. This is the family jewels, y'all. We are learning to invest everything in the word and the spirit of God so that we can make decisions regarding the encampment of God's people who are called to be a nation of priests alongside us. See, Eric Treister is also wearing on his forehead a sign that says holy to the Lord. But unless he's standing in front of the mirror that is the word of God, he may not be able to see it. And like anything that you hang on a wall, you can forget that it's there or its significance. It is our job when we see Eric Treister to go, brother, you are set apart 
for God. It's our job to remind our brothers of their identity. My God, I'm having a good morning. I'm standing here with two sons that have become my brothers. We're standing in the midst of our family's jewels. That's you. You are the family jewels on full display. This ministry has stated from the beginning, Matthew even built a website back in the days when you actually had to code it yourself and you couldn't just ask an AI to do it. <laughs> and on that website, we said that we would mine the precious metals and the jewels right out of the earth and polish them for the glory and beauty of God. We would establish them for the battlement of God's city. Come on. We're going to take some directives from Mark 3 to aim at putting the family jewels on full display. Mark 3.13, famous passage for all of us. And he went up on the mountain. Where did he go, church? Up. Yeah, he's gaining a higher view. And he called to those whom he desired. Come on. And they came to him. And he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him. And he might send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. Jesus, as the high priest, ascended the mountain of God to gain heavenly perspective. This was extremely important because in the natural, he was literally surrounded on all sides by evidence that these particular men could not do what Adonai was about to proclaim through him that they would do. It's true. I mean, the text says he called them. He desired them. Yes. He wanted them. And he appointed and named them to be apostles. It's years before their work will show up as apostles. <laughs> this is before Peter's denials, before Thomas's doubts, before James and John's dubious intentions. Let's call down fire on them, Lord. The point is that Jesus as a priest wore these men on his chest every day and every decision that he made in his life was aimed at making them become exactly what God said they would be. This was done in spite of their struggles or failings. When Adonai wants to build something, he is able to perform what he has promised. Saints, we have to come to grips with something this morning. Come on. If you're not able to believe that God is making you into a priest personally in spite of your failures, you'll never be able to take the enormous leap of faith and begin to believe that he is making your brothers into priests in spite of their failures. This morning, you're going to have to turn the corner. You're going to have to turn the corner in the power of the Holy Spirit and under the instruction of the Word of God buried in your heart. We can do it. You're going to have to accept that you have an identity from God, a declared destination. You are a priest. Amen. And then you're going to have to arrange your brothers in this room on your chest and begin to look into the word and the spirit to assist them in becoming the priest that God confidently declared they would be. Come on. 
This is the model that Jesus set before us. It is the breastplate that we must wear. It literally means that every decision you make in your life is in relation to the word, the spirit, and your brothers. Well, speaking of that breastplate that we must wear as priests of God, for some reason we all tend to forget that the Levites were soldiers and priests. These two roles are wrapped up into one singular identity as a priest. You see this evidenced in their beginnings and men like Benaiah, son of Jehoiada. Look, we're going to take a fresh look together at Ephesians 6, keeping in mind and remembering that priests are soldiers and the priesthood was born right out of the use of a sword and not the proverbial kind, a real one in Exodus 32. So when we say priests, stop thinking clerical collar and an effeminate male. Start thinking of the epitome of masculine holiness, the kind that picks up a sword for the Lord and instructs people about the word of God. Ephesians 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand. Look, you need to know that the word your here, it is plural. It's y'all or you all. So that you all can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Saints, this is more than just an individual priest. This is about a priesthood that is in file and rank like an army. For our struggle is, our. is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Saints, we are a brotherhood of priests. We are engaged in mortal combat with principalities in the heavenly realms, and it is a clash that is ordained by God. You need to remember this struggle is corporate, not individual. Everything about the language is about kingdom clashing against kingdom. It is the body of Messiah as one unified people on the earth struggling against dark forces that oppose. They attack our entity. They attack the identity of our brothers. They work to uproot your God-ordained position and anointing. But God has gifted us as priests with the appropriate armament. This is verse 13. Therefore put on the full armor of God. So that when the day of evil comes. You or you all. May be able to stand your ground. And after you all have done everything to stand. Stand firm then. How do you do it? With the belt of truth buckled around your waist. And the breast plate of righteousness. In place. What? Saints. Carlos got it. Did y'all get it? Yes. Moses never would have begun his calling without Aaron. You remember that? God's not happy with him, but his brother helped him find strength in God. Why well, Aaron, Aaron would never have become the high priest without Moses. In fact, he was losing spiritual battles until he began to grow in the identity God had given him. We are involved in a corporate struggle and the breastplate of righteousness that must be in place is that of a high priest. And that is the imagery that the apostle Paul is conveying. It has the names of our brothers on our chest. 
We invest the word and the spirit into our very hearts at the center of what we do. And then every decision, every decision that we make is in reference to the brotherhood of priests that God is building all around us and through us. So say it with me. My breastplate. My breastplate. Is made up of my brothers. Is made up of my brothers. The word. The word. And the spirit. And the spirit. We are going to win in this house. And we will win on every front. We will win on every continent that we go to. And we will do it by staying in formation. In the encampment that God has called us to. By staying in the identity that he has named us as. And... By reminding our brothers of what the word and the spirit says about them at all times. Then we cannot and will not fall. This is how we take our stand against the devil and his schemes. Your breastplate is not your individual spiritual power. It is you standing in the word and the spirit in connection with the brothers God has stationed you next to. That is what God is enthroned on, and that is how his power is displayed. Look, we're at a close. Yeah, we we kind of have to be, I think. I mean, we don't have to, but we're going to. We do have microphones. (laughs) But there is another scripture that we need to view more accurately in light of what we have learned today. Do you see Ephesians 6 just a little differently? The same is true of this passage. 1 Peter 2, 4 through 9. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. I have tended to view this as brick and mortar stones being stacked up into a physical temple of God. Yeah, giant Herodian blocks stacked on top of one another to rise to become a physical edifice. Not Oedipus, that's something else and is gross. An edifice. What we've discovered today, though, is it seems the spiritual house being discussed is more like the house of David or the house of Levi, as in... A precious family forming a house together. The house of the Ruedas. The house of the Ledesmas. The house of LCM or the Arising. In other words, rather than it being a building, Peter is talking about each one of you being like those precious stones on the body of Messiah, the high priest. This is our family jewels. When we are in proper relationship with each other, The word and the spirit making every decision that builds the house that is the body of Messiah and nations of priests. This is the house that we're building. We're not trying to build a steeple. Not that we would have ruined. Those things get struck by lightning because they're idolatrous. (laughs) We're trying to build a collection of precious stones on the priest, the ephod of the high priest. I want to tell you that my own identity is becoming more secure as a priest. Yeah, it is. You shall be a man of God, a pastor, a preacher. The brothers in this room have clothed me in that calling and identity. And I want to spend the rest of my life clothing you 
and what you are called to do in your identity. Because it's what God says you are. We're going to need to climb the mountain of the Lord together this morning. Some of you need to repent of your own thoughts and accept what the Spirit, the Word, and your brothers are saying about you. Namely, that you are priests. And again, because I can, Elijah, the Lord has called you to ministry. And you have many things in your future that are plans, whether they were given to you or you've taken on of your own. And I want to tell you that the Lord has this priesthood for you. These other things can be used as tools, but your goal is priesthood. Your aim and your destination is priesthood. Throw away the thoughts that say otherwise. Some of you need to repent of your own thoughts and accept what the Spirit and Word says And your brothers say about you, namely that you are a priest. I apologize, just said that. Others in the room are going to need to repent of the feeling that you are a precious stone apart from your brothers. Yeah, you're not that special by yourself. All by myself. Every tribe was arranged on the breastplate in proximity to each other and the word and the spirit. At this point, I'm going to turn it over to my father. Look, our family jewels are each other. And Messiah puts us on his chest. We are members of the same body. And the means for making decisions is our proximity to each other and reliance on the word and the spirit. I asked Pastor Matthew to come up because he's wiser, better looking. He's even the right color. And he remembered something that the first time we got this revelation made an impact on us. Before Matthew shares that closing word, I want to propose to you that we as a body join with some of our other churches who are in the same process. We're going to do three things. Are you all ready for them? We're going to get before God and affirm and establish our own identity as priests. We're going to do that number one. We're going to go up on the mountain and settle those issues for us. Number two, we're going to get before God and ask him to empower us, to fill us with a spirit of skill at declaring our brother's priesthood in spite of their failures. We're going to display the same kind of faith over time that God does. This century of battle will not change the millennial outcome. Amen. You ready for the third one? We're going to begin to immediately start searching the word and spirit of God for the very next item of clothing that you can place on your brother this week that shows his priesthood. These are three practical things. Get your identity right. Get into the business of looking past your brother's current failure and what God says he will be. And then daily start looking in the word for how to clothe your brother in his priestly garment. Every husband in this room should already be doing this for his wife. Every wife in this room should already be doing this for her husband. Every parent in this room ought to already be doing it for their children. But we are the family of God, and we must begin to do it for each other. Amen. As we're looking to put this into practice, 
Let's start with something very obvious. We are the family jewels. I'm, I'm sitting here looking at the fulfillment of a 20-year-old promise that God has made come true, that he has brought the precious metals, the gems and stones of men and women's lives, and he has assembled and arranged us in this house, being formed, fashioned, and polished by his word and spirit as we interact with each other. So once again, on that breastplate that Aaron would wear, where did the Urim and the Thummim uh, be placed on that breastplate? Over his heart. Over his heart. Josephus, a Jewish recorder of their history, he states that the middle of the breastpiece was cut out so that the Urim and the Thummim would touch the heart. So how does that really relate to us right here and right now? The heart is the veil between the holy place and the most holy place. Your heart has to be torn open so that the spirit and truth can reside upon it. Let's put up Amos 2.13. We're very familiar with this. Uh, Joel 2.13. Sorry, Joel 2.13. There we go. And rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Well, you're engaging with this passage that Pastor Matthew reminded me of this very morning. Your garments are the righteous deeds God has called you to do based on your identity. It's not those that you need to tear away from yourself. It is not your priesthood that you need to throw away. It is not your brother's priesthood that you need to throw away. It is your own heart that you need to tear open and place the word of God in so that you begin to believe he will do what he said he is going to do. Your failure does not mean that you throw away your plate that says holy to the Lord. It does not mean that you cannot become a priest. It means that your heart has to be perforated to let the Urim and the Thummim and the Word and the Spirit come more deeply into you because you need His empowerment to become what He says you are. Will you stand to your feet? What a strengthening word that we have this morning. And particularly the directive of practically what to do from this point forward. The three points that Pastor Eric shared, and particularly the one to daily seek out the word and spirit to clothe your brother and remind him of his identity. This morning, we're gonna make sure that our hearts are rent and not tearing apart our priestly and righteous deeds so that 
the word and spirit can reside upon our hearts and we can begin immediately to edify our body around us. So as I pray, let your hearts be rent before the Lord our God. Let his spirit and word begin to work within it, not just for you alone, but the aim be for your brothers and sisters next to you. Lord, we lift up to you our body, soul, and spirit. And we say that, Lord, let your word and let your fire, let your spirit come upon the center of our hearts right now. Fill our mouths with your life-giving speech to share with those on our left and right. And Lord, we glorify your name for the ability to stand in your encampment and know that we shall be your priesthood on earth. In the name of Jesus, amen. This community really is our family jewels. We need to wear that proudly. We need that to be upon our chest at all times. We need to outdo one another in showing brotherly honor. We need to look not only to our own interest, but also the interest of our brothers. And you're doing it so well. This is how we get to the rest of the world. This is how we extend and expand Messiah's kingdom. We're proud to serve alongside you. We love you with all of our hearts. Coming back into town, all I heard about is how every family in here has grown tremendously. How ancient giants have fallen. How people are persevering in righteousness. It's a good day. You know what else is going to be a good day? July 4th is going to be a good day. Please start to gather on Fuerte at 3 o'clock. You never know. This could be the last 4th of July when there is actual freedom left in this country. I mean, we'll, we'll see. But while we have it, let's have a good time together. Let's encourage one another. Let's look forward to monumental events in this new year. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the body of Christ, the brotherhood of believers. Lord, you have given us the means of making decisions. May every decision be for the benefit of our brothers. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.